Jesse, how you doing? Dude, this has been a rough afternoon. I we went to record. I was so excited, and my mic just crapped out, and I had to get a new one. And the weirdest thing was, as I was fiddling with my mic, oh, and we're not recording backup now. There we go. Uh, as I was fiddling with my mic, you said, "Jesse, what's your address? I'll look up if there's a microphone store in your neighborhood." Which is so suspicious because there's no such thing as a microphone store. Why do you need my address? Why would I not just Google that? What are you What are you trying to do, Herzog? Why do you need my address? You're going to dox me. I was trying to be helpful. I'm sure that I have your address somewhere. We own a business together. It's in the documents I'm here. I was trying to be helpful. And I can't believe that you live in New York, New York, and you don't have a fucking microphone store. Well, first of all, I don't live in New York, New York. I live in Brooklyn, New Whatever. York. Whatever. Oh, my God. That was so... I just hate... I hate technology. I hate audio. I think I just I just assume I never learned to do basic audio stuff because I assumed this whole podcast wouldn't last given the tumultuous nature of our relationship. Your microphone broke. This is there's no like audio engineering that would have fixed the broken microphone. No, I'm sure it's somehow my fault that there's like some setting. You I probably sat on. I it. forgot to click. Don't let microphone break. That microphone has been through some shit. It's flown across the country. It's flown to Germany. So rest in peace, uh, Sheila. Was her name? Wait, what's the new one's name? Noah Mike Latsky. Michael Knobs. <laughs> so fucking stupid, Katie. What is the name of this uh, increasingly dysfunctional podcast? This is Blocked and Reported, and I'm Katie Herson. And I'm Jesse Single. Today, Katie, you have a story for me about pit bulls and uh, pit bulls. Depending on who I'm speaking with and how scared I am, they'll dox me. I view them as either lovable, misunderstood misfits of the canine kingdom, or merciless killing machines that make the Terminator look like Barney the Dinosaur. And you're going to help us get to the bottom of that debate today, right? Yeah, Jesse, I'm about to walk you into a wasp nest, the likes of which you have never seen. I know going into this, all I remember, and maybe you're going to bring this up later, uh, Joe Bernstein wrote a piece for BuzzFeed forever ago about how psychotic online fights about pit bulls were. I still don't understand how that could be the case, but I'm going to, um, I'm going to strap my butt in Okay, I'm strapped in. I'm ready to hear about this. You need a fucking flak jacket for this one. For my butt? A butt flak jacket? Yes. Okay. The whole thing. Okay, so Joe is right about this. And before I started working on this segment, I called a guy who has been studying and writing about human-animal interactions for many years. His name is Hal Herzog, or as I like to call him, Dr. Herzog. Big Daddy Hal? Oh, okay. Yep. And he told me that nothing in his field is as heated as the fight over pipples. Not meat, not cockfighting, not bullfighting, not rescue dogs versus purebreds not spay and neuter, all of these issues inflame people's passions, and none of them hold a candle to this issue. And the reason for this is that people who care deeply about this issue generally have some personal stakes in it. Can, can, I, guess what that, can I guess what that stake is? Yeah, sure. Yeah. On the one side are people who have pit bulls are pets. On the other side are people whose entire families have been killed by pit bulls. It's pretty close. So okay. let's just simplify matters and say that there are two basic sides here, pro-pit bull and anti-pit bull. And the pro-pit people are generally people who have and who love their pities. Their pits are sweet and loving and they would never ever- They call them pities? Yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah. Oh, and God. they would never rip a baby's arm out of its socket until they do. <laughs> you probably know some of these people. The militantly anti-pit bull side are often people who've been attacked by pit bulls or they know someone who has been attacked by pit bulls or they have a dog that's been attacked by pit bulls and they want them wiped off the face of the earth. So I'll be upfront with my bias. Moose has been attacked one time. And it was by a pit bull, and it was terrifying. We were camping at a state park. This was like our first van trip ever. And we were walking to the ba to the bathrooms, and a family had their pit on this like skinny 50-foot lead. And the dog just came out of nowhere and attacked Moose, and it would not let go of him. Jesus. So I got, yeah, I got all tangled up in Moose's leash and fell down and screamed like a banshee while Jana kicked the pit in the head. And the owner, who was this huge guy, he wrestled the dog to the ground. And it could have been much, much worse if moose weren't protected by a thick layer of fluff. Oh, and I learned this afterwards. The best way to stop a dog attack is to stick your finger in the dog's butthole. <laughs> Some experts will claim that this is a myth, but I have seen the videos. I think I've seen those same videos. That said, yeah, try it at your own risk, uh, unless you don't want a dog bite and a stinky finger. In that case, don't try it at your own risk. God. Uh, so anyway, in the moments after that attack... I was like, ban them, kill them, dump their bodies in the sea. So I get the anti pitbull side. I really do. What? What did? Was the owner apologetic? How did he no, respond? No, it was. He was. It was a shady situation. <laughs> Gotta go. <laughs> he was like, he and his family were very clearly like living in this in this campground, like full time living there. 
And we were, I was screaming and there were other people around and they just like fucking looked at us. It was really like, I was very shaken by this. Moose was fine, but I was very shaken by it. They come up to you guys. They're like, would you stop disturbing us? You're being very loud. Right. So I totally understand the bias against pit bulls. I share it. That said, I've also had friends with pits who really are really sweet dogs and I can see why people love them. And so I have sympathy for both the anti-pipple side and the pro-pipple side. And I'm going to try to present all sides of this debate fairly, despite that one Cujo who almost killed my baby, probably because he was jealous of Moose's hair. What's a Cujo? A Cujo? It's like a bad dog from a movie. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah, I don't know what the movie Culturally is. impoverished. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to give you a couple of examples of how hot this debate can get. There's a journalist named Bronwyn Dickey. She wrote a book called Pitbull, The Battle Over an American Icon. She lives in Durham. I know her a little bit. Bronwyn is pro-pit. And the book is a lot about the genetics and the history and the culture of the breed, which is not actually even really an accurate description because there are several breeds, including the American Pitbull Terrier, the American Staffordshire Terrier, the Staffordshire Bull Terrier, and now the American Bully that are all called Pitbulls and have that kind of classic Pitbull look. Picture the square head, the barrel chest, the bloodlust in the eyes, the baby's arm hanging from its jaws. You know the look. <laughs> its odor frantically trying to get a finger up its butt to stop it. Yeah. yeah. I, I can but picture But he's so sweet. But he's so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> so Bronwyn argues that pit bands are rooted in racism, and we'll come back to that later. But hmm. when she published this book in 2016, the anti-pitbull people were so incensed by this that they accused her of being on the payroll of Big Pitbull, whatever that is. <laughs> Big Pitbull. Yeah. There's just like a, a, a pit bull in like a mansion with one of those fancy hats. He's like, yeah, yeah, yes. that's awesome. Yeah. So Bronwyn got death threats and had to have security at some of her book readings. Wow, it got really crazy. You know what they could, you know what she could use to protect herself from a pit bull trespassers. Yeah, yeah. So I talked with her a little bit about this stuff, and what she got is so much worse than anything you and I have gotten, including the people who called my parents and told them that I have sex with stuffed animals. Brahman got worse shit than that. Interesting. Yeah, I won't go into more details, but it's really crazy, scary, unhinged shit. So that's an example of the anti-Pitbull people being crazy. As an example of the pro-Pitbull people being crazy, in 2010, The Stranger published an article called How to Defeat a Pitbull with Your Bare Hands. It was this sort of jokey piece, very much in the style of like the old stranger, but people were absolutely, absolutely livid about this. And when I was at the paper almost 10 years later... It was, I believe, still the most controversial, most hated piece The Stranger had ever published, even more than my detransition piece, and even more than the time that Dan wrote that he got the flu and licked doorknobs at Gary Bauer's campaign office, which, by the way, (laughs) I've never believed. Dan doesn't like to shake hands. I'm sure he's licked plenty of knobs in his life, but never one attached to a door. (laughs) Anyway, that piece was so controversial that they followed it up with another piece called How to Defeat Someone Made Furious by How to Defeat a Pitbull with Your Bare Hands. (laughs) Right, which, of course, this made the situation that much worse. And then when I was at The Stranger years later, the social media guy shared the first one on Facebook, and there was another outpouring of rage. No one cared that it was 10 years old and mostly a joke. They were big mad about this. It seems like uh, The Stranger used to be cool. It did. Like today, like today, Before like if someone if they posted how to defeat a pit bull with your bare hands, within ten minutes someone would accuse them of racism, then the next day they'd probably do a fulsome apology for having posted that article. I can't see them responding in the same way. They would burn the issue themselves. Yeah. Okay, so before we get into it, I have to warn you. This issue is hugely complex. I've spent, I'm, I'm not shitting you when I say this, I've spent 50 hours working on this this week. Wow. That's <laughs> a lot for me. So besides all the dog stuff, there's culture war issues like race and class. There's a lot of overlapping categories and confusing names involved. And I had no idea how complicated this was before I really started digging into it. And in the end, I ended up 180 degrees from where I started. I was really shocked by what I learned. I'm not used to situations where like I was getting ready to prepare a smaller segment. This was always going to be our big segment. And you emailed me you're like, don't worry about it. Yeah. There's too much stuff here. So I've I've appreciated <laughs> you know, having part of the week off in the podcast. Yeah, it's been great. Okay, let's dive in. Pitbulls have been banned in the UK under the Dangerous Dogs Act since 1991, which specifically banned four types of dogs. Pitbull Terriers, Japanese Tosads, Doggo Argentinos, and Felix. <laughs> no, wait, 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 I know, they're sorry. so cute. There's no way. It's called, yeah. there's an actual breed called Doggo Argentino. It's probably pronounced like Dogo. It's, but it's that's a, like, if someone yeah. asked you what breed your dog was and you didn't know so you made something up on the spot doggo argentino okay anyway doggo argentino got it 
and a breed called the Fila Brazil Eros. I'm mispronouncing this, as well as the crossbreeds of these dogs. And then last week, UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak announced that his government is adding another dog to that list, the American Bully XL. And this <laughs> Wait, announced- there's an XL. That's the most American thing ever, that we would put an XL next to a dog breed name. Not like an XXL? <laughs> Okay, so this announcement came after a recent spate of attacks, including the attack of an 11-year-old girl in Birmingham and the death of a man named Ian Price in Staffordshire. Jesus. And there have been a number of other deaths attributed to these dogs, including a 10-year-old boy in Wales who was killed in 2021. But as you will hear, there are some very legitimate questions about what kind of dogs were actually involved in those deaths. So that's going to be the theme today, uncertainty. But let's just follow the reporting for a moment. So after Sunak's announcement, there was a wave of reporting on this issue. The numbers cited varied by outlet, but many reported that since 2021, between 11 and 14 people have been killed by American Bully XLs, including three just this year, and that American Bully XLs are responsible for 43% of all dog attacks in the UK, so just astronomical numbers. And they got this data from Bully Watch, which is an activist group that collects data on dog bites. Can I ask a, a dumb, maybe a naive question? Yeah. If you're looking for like good data on this, clearly you can tell from the group's name, Bully Watch, that they're an activist group that is probably going to skew a certain way. Is there a reason they're viewed as reliable? That is what this show is about, Jesse. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. I actually didn't know that when I asked. I wasn't doing yeah. that like tell me more thing. Okay. Okay. So they're attributing an astronomical percentage of dog bites to these dogs. But the thing is, their sources are not good. They say that themselves on their website. Quote, our main source is Nextdoor and Facebook. Because of this, the data will be biased. If you were bitten by a French bulldog and only get a nip, then you're unlikely to post publicly about it online. And they're obviously right about this. Breed-level data on dog bites is hard to find, especially in the UK. And not only are their sources biased, they are biased too. They want these dog bans. Of course, everyone in this fight is biased. Okay, so how does a uh, what is an American Bully XL and how does it differ from like what I assume are other varieties of American bullies? Okay, I'm glad you asked. So it is just the larger version of the American Bully, which is a dog that was developed by Pipple breeders in the U.S. in the 90s. The original breeder was a guy named Dave Wilson, and his aim was to breed a pit bull that was stronger, stockier, more muscular than the average bear or the average pit bull, I guess. This is like also American. Dave Wilson is such an American name. American Bully XL just captures our obsession with excess. Uh, yeah, that's, this is so American so far. All right, you want to see a photo? Absolutely. All right, scroll down on our notes there. Jesus Christ, that's not, that is, no, 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 no. That is a bodybuilder in like a taut fursuit. That is not a normal dog. Holy fuck. I say we ban them all. Right. I say we kill them. Right. Jesus. That is also what I thought when I first saw these dogs. He looks like he's been lifting weights and avoiding seed oils. <laughs> There's also an, a specific aesthetic around the marketing of these dogs, and I, I can't really describe it without resorting to stereotypes. So Jesse, I'm going to show you some ads and I'm ask you I'm going to ask you to describe them for me. Is this a dog fighting ad? No. These are these are ads for for puppies basically. I ask cuz it, it looks like almost like they're like a, a fight poster before a fight. There's like two dogs in the front, other dogs above. I'd say these are on the cuter end. You can tell his puppies are still big. I just I'm sort of confused what I'm even looking at. It looks like an action poster basically for an action movie. Yeah, d- describe the dog on the top one. Describe the dog in the top left there. He's wearing like a spiked collar. Okay, this other one there's like it's more that like it's like it's very like action masculine. There are these big dogs in front of a flaming background. Um Katie, what are you what are you trying to get me at here? I feel like I'm not I'm not making the connection. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to get you to, to use the very racially loaded term thuggish. That's what I'm trying to get you to say. The aesthetic of these dogs is incredibly masculine. They look like these ads that we're looking at, they look like ads, yeah, like ads that you would see for a fight, right? Do you think yeah. that's accurate? Yeah, I do think that's accurate. Okay. I wouldn't involve racing it the way you are, but you know. The thing is, Dave Wilson did not set out to breed a killer dog. In fact, he set out to do the opposite. So Bronwyn Dickey, the journalist who I mentioned earlier, she writes about this in her book. She says Dave, quote, consciously selected for mellower animals that didn't need an intense amount of exercise because he felt that this attribute was more suitable for pets living in densely packed urban environments. He wanted his dogs to look imposing on the outside, but have more layabout marshmallow temperaments. And this this shocked me, right? I'd read all these headlines about these killer dogs. I'd seen the photos of them. And here was Bronwyn saying that they were bred to be mellow, 
I was honestly so surprised when I heard that. Yeah. So it sounds like that backfired completely. Well, just stay tuned. So I called Dave myself. He told me he grew up a pit guy. He loved pits. He bred pits. He showed pits. But he knew that those dogs had a reputation for being aggressive, especially towards other dogs. Pits were once bred as fighting dogs, after all. They're super strong, and they have this terrier drive that makes them latch onto something and not let go. And Dave wanted to fix this. He wanted to take that drive, basically take the terrier, out of the Pitbull Terrier. And so he and another guy named Richard Barajas, they developed this new breed they called the American Bully. And this was a breed that anyone could own and would, he hoped, lessen the stigma against these dogs. He told me, we created a bodybuilding dog with a sweet demeanor. They look physically impressive, but are not high drive dogs. They are a very docile, happy dog. At the same time, some in the dog world objected to what he was doing. See, one thing you need to understand is that serious dog breeders rigidly adhere to breed standards. So that means essentially physical and behavioral traits. And here was this guy breeding these monster dogs that didn't fit the breed standard at all. They didn't like this. Wait, so you so you mean if like if a dog is known to be docile, you're not supposed to, for example, breed two angry versions of that? What, what do you mean? How do they control these physical and behavioral traits? It's basically Mendelian genetics, right? And so, so a kennel club like the AKC, you can look at their website and you can see all of these very specific traits. The muzzle needs to be this many inches. The slope of the back needs to look like that. Does that make sense? So it's very, it's like phrenology, but dog phrenology. It is like phrenology. It's eugenics. Okay. It's eugenics. Yep. Yeah. So these are very rigid, rigid, right? And so here's this guy. He's breeding these monster dogs that don't fit the breed standard at all. And they didn't like this. And what's more... These dogs were attracting the wrong kind of people. Dave is like, let's just say he's not the kind of guy you'd expect to see at Westminster, right? And Spiked collar. Right. And there's this big bully scene in L.A. And you have these Latino guys and black guys showing up to dog shows in gold chains with these beefy dogs. And Dave says that at, the, that at some point the UKC actually changed their breed standards to exclude these new subset of dogs and that at one point he was at a UKC event at a park in California, and there were all these bully guys hanging out at the park, and the UKC guys actually called the cops to kick the bully guys out of the park. So this is this is like a, a pastime or a hobby associated with like, you know, upper middle class and up whites, and this breed is bringing in a different element, and people are responding negatively to that. Exactly. Okay. And this causes a rift between Dave and the UKC breeders. So he and his buddies left the UKC, and they made their own community and standards and registry for these dogs called the American Bully Kennel Club. And it's been a huge success. He says there are over a million registered American bullies in the U.S., and they have dog shows all over the country nearly every week, and hundreds of people come out to these shows. And the number one breed standard for this dog, so the most important quality in an American bully, is not how big his lats are or how many cats it looks like he ate for breakfast. It's that he shows no aggression towards humans. So while these dogs look intimidating, they're not fighting dogs. They're family dogs. They are show dogs. And you don't win best in show by ripping off your handler's arm when it gives you a treat. Okay, so you're saying like the exact thing these dogs have come to be associated with, with aggression, the folks who like this breed and who breed this breed are like, that's literally the opposite of what we're doing. You can't be an American bully if you're aggressive. So not exactly. It would still be an American bully. You're an American bully if your parents were American bullies. But if a dog showed aggression towards humans, it would be disqualified for registration in the American Bully Kennel Club or any other legitimate kennel club. So I'm going to show you another photo. This is a photo of a dog show that I think gives you a better perspective on their actual size. So please describe this. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's a bunch of people sort of the dogs are like standing at attention in that well-trained way. Yeah, they sort of look a little bit like pigs. It is funny that you say that because... Some of the snobbier pit bull terrier breeders call them pig bulls because they think of them as fat and slow. And you can kind of see it, right? Like there is something piggy about the dogs besides their giant traps. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so how did these pig bulls, these couch potatoes that were bred to be mellow, these dogs that are the furthest removed pit bull variant from the fighting pits of yore, how did they end up murdering people in the UK? That's what I wanted to find out, Jesse. So I started by watching the videos of the attacks in Birmingham and in St Staffordshire, and I noticed something odd. Those dogs in the attacks didn't look like American bullies. The Birmingham video isn't very clear. The dog is moving really quickly. But the Staffordshire video is very clear. I don't recommend watching it. It's horrific. Really don't watch it. But the dog at the center of the attack looks like a pit bull, not a bully. As you will hear, 
eyeballing a dog is in no way conclusive, but this made me start wondering why people think that these dogs are American bullies in the first place. Okay, so why, why do they think that? Well, Bully Watch, that group I just told you about, they post incident reports when they hear about a bite, and they also publish their own history of the American bully, and they say that what happened is that these do- as these dogs got more and more pop- popular, in part thanks to social media and influencers, irresponsible breeders started trying to cash in, so there's been a lot of inbreeding to select for specific traits. Bully Watch calls this a muscles arm ra- arms race, and they write, quote, We believe most American bullies in the UK can track back to either fighting bloodlines or alleged human aggressive bloodlines. Okay, so their argument is the fact is people are breeding them to be tougher and tougher, and they're arguing that what the other guy, what Dave Wilson and them are saying, that we actually breed them to not be aggressive. They're saying that that's just not true. Yes, that's what they're saying. All right. And so I was curious, like, how do they square the fact that these dogs were bred to be docile with their contention that they are so violent, they're killing people? And so I wrote to Bully Watch, and one of the guys wrote back, and he said, you have to separate the American bully from the Bully XL. But here's the thing. You can't separate them because they are the same dog. This is not like the difference between the standard poodle and the mini poodle. Those are separate breeds. But the American bully is a very young breed. There haven't been enough generations of this dog to make new, distinct breeds, so what actually exists are a few variations. The smallest is called a pocket bully, and the largest is the XL, and the only difference between them is size. The XL is not a distinct breed. It's simply a bigger bully. So this idea that there's any meaningful difference between these dogs just doesn't make any sense, and it's not just Dave who told me this, although he did tell me this. I also checked this with several dog researchers, including one named Alexander Horowitz from the Dog Cognition Lab at Columbia. She said the same thing. The XL is just the taller version of the American bully. Yeah. Okay, so this group is really having a moment, and they are being treated like the authority on this topic by the UK media and some of the American media. And we've seen this in other realms. Activists make some claim, the media lashes onto it, and it becomes capital T truth. And Bully Watch themselves admits that they don't actually know that much about these dogs. And there hasn't been that much scholarly work to turn to. They say this on their website, quote, they could be the most docile breed or they could be the most violent. For anyone to claim the science is conclusive enough to support a stance against breed-specific legislation is profoundly misleading. Of course, you could also say for anyone to claim the science is conclusive enough to support a stance for breed-specific legislation is profoundly misleading. That is just as true. So yeah, they they seem underinformed. I mean, do they do they say stuff that's sort of outright false rather than just vaguely wrong? Yeah. Okay. So here's an example. Two of the guys from Bully Watch sent me a video of a uh, that a breeder posted after all this controversy started this week of this guy. It's on YouTube. He's shit talking Dave. He's making all these claims about him. Dave's a liar. His dogs are bad, violent, blah blah blah. One of the guys from Bully Watch described the guy in the video to me as a co-creator of the breed. So I asked Dave about this. He said not only is the guy not a co-creator of the breed, he was banned from the kennel club for animal cruelty, and now he hates Dave. Damn. So I emailed some totally random bully breeders and asked them, hey, I'm just trying to fact check some stuff. What's up with these guys? And the ones who responded said, Dave has a good reputation. One said, the best. When I asked about the other guy, the one making these accusations against Dave, I got either no comment or warnings to stay away from him. One guy said that he robs people, kills dogs, sells bad semen, and then he sent me a li- yeah. And then he sent me a link to a Facebook post from last year with receipts. And when I looked the guy up, I found so many complaints about him, both from customers and from other breeders saying he's a scammer. So Bully Watch is pushing this guy's story without ever bothering to talk to Dave Wilson. They've never contacted him. And in fact, I don't think they've ever spoken to any breeders because when I asked One of the guys got all cloak and dagger and said, for reasons of anonymity, I can't answer your question about that. I can say this. We are extremely aware of discussions in breeder Facebook groups, circles, etc., and in practices, but I can't go any more specific than that. That was his response to you asking, have you spoken to specific breeders? He can't even just say, yes, I have. Not even specific breeders. Have you talked to breeders, period? Yeah. Okay. So what they're doing is lurking in breeder groups. And while you can definitely learn something from that, it's inadequate to really understanding a world that you're not a part of. And we run into this all the time. You have to talk to people. Yeah. And it's also kind of funny that the Bully Watch like mentioned being in breeder groups because someone else who has reported on this and wishes to remain anonymous because people are crazy told me that people who advocate against certain types of dogs 
generally aren't well-connected enough in these circles to access any real info, so they cut and paste from message boards, which is what I think Bullywatch is doing. And the other thing is that there's a lot of gossip in this world. There's lots of competition, lots of shit-talking, lots of wild claims online about other breeders that doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. So what they're doing is rumor-mongering. And of course, they're smearing not just the breed, but the creator himself. And the real irony here is that Dave Wilson set out to design a dog that would end the stigma against pits, but the opposite has happened, and now he's being personally demonized for these deaths. Okay, so so you're saying like there's a strong case to be made that he and his breed are being unfairly smeared. Yeah, and it's not just tabloids like the Daily Mail who have been citing this group. Many, many legitimate outlets and writers have as well, including the New York Times. I also DM'd with another science writer who has cited Bully Watch. I won't name him, but he straight up did not believe me when I told him that these dogs were bred to be docile. We had a, quite the back and forth, and I don't think I convinced him at all. I think it's just really hard for people to see beyond these dogs' weird, muscly bodies and all the hype. Dogs look vicious, therefore they must be. Okay, so you're saying, I mean, I don't know what to think about this so far. because So you, it's like, we can't prove they're vicious, but do we have any evidence that they're as docile as Dave says they are? That that also involves taking someone to his word, right? Sure. Dave is obviously biased. But it's not just him. So here's the description of the American bully from the UKC, the United Kennel Club. Despite its powerful appearance, their demeanor is gentle and friendly. This breed makes an excellent family dog, dot, dot, dot. Aggressive behavior towards humans is uncharacteristic of the breed and highly undesirable. So I know it sounds crazy, but until recently, these dogs were known as gentle, friendly dogs. Just Google American Bully and Children. The first thing that comes up is some dog training company. They say, these dogs are also great for families with small children because they are not aggressive and will not attack. And that was basically their reputation until the UK press started covering these alleged Bully XL attacks over the last couple of years. And now they become known as these vicious man-eating beasts, at least over there. And I know what I'm saying is hard to believe. I do not blame people at all for assuming that they are dangerous. They look dangerous. I also assumed that they were dangerous until I actually started digging into the story and reading beyond the headlines. Okay, gotcha. Another one of the claims that Bully Watch has made, this has gone very viral in the UK, is that a sire named UKC's Most Wanted Kimbo is responsible for half the XLs in the UK and that some of those dogs are inherently violent. So Bully Watch did a whole investigation into this dog and his lineage, and they say that he was the product of brother-sister pairing, so he was inbred, and that Kimbo's own offspring were inbred as well, and that within breeding forums, it is known that these dogs were particularly aggressive and had a tendency to snap. And they claim that in 2014, one of Kimbo's offspring killed a four-year-old girl. They write, The spotlight was turned on Kimbo. Owners and breeders began documenting severe incidents involving his offspring. The owner of an American bully kennel was attacked by his own dog, a son of Kimbo. Another instance involved a descendant of Kimbo attacking its owner when the dog was only eight or nine months old. Time after time, cases emerged of attacks involving Kimbo's direct descendants. In all, they connect Kimbo's descendants to 10 severe attacks, including at least three deaths. And over the past week, a ton of media outlets have repeated this. It's become canon. And now you see headlines like this one in The Telegraph. Half of all XL bully dogs in Britain descend from Killer Kimbo. Killer Kimbo. Killer Kimbo. But very tabloid-ready nickname. But Bully Watch's methods are inexact. So they're searching message boards and forums and these unverified pedigree sites. And I did the same thing. And the information is just really contradictory depending on the source. Like I found sites saying that Kimbo was an American Staffordshire Terrier. I saw old comments on forums saying he was actually part Mastiff. One of the family trees that Bully Watch posts on its own site has him listed as an American Staffordshire Terrier. Dave Wilson dug around too. He found out that Kimbo was registered with the United Kimbo Club in 2011. The thing is, the UKC didn't recognize American bullies until 2013. So if he was registered in 2011, it was not as an American bully. So it was some other kind of pit. Now that's not just positive. It's possible the owner just didn't update his registry. But it tells you how hard it is to get accurate information from an internet search. I didn't realize that like it was so hard to figure out, even if you have a specific dog with a specific attack, knowing nothing about this, I thought that it was just like clear what breed it was. I didn't know it was shrouded in so much mystery and sort of contradictory information. We'll get into the details a little while later, but yes, it can be really hard to tell what breed any individual dog is. So as for Kimbo's offspring, I asked a different breeder to look up his lineage, and she told me that he has 28 known breedings. Again, the same limitations apply to this data, and that obviously sounds like a lot of puppies, 
but she said 28 breedings is on the low end for a popular sire. Some of these dogs have hundreds of breedings. One of her dogs comes from a sire named Dax that has 324 known breedings. <laughs> Just this yeah. like hot, the hot sluts. dog. <laughs> yeah. This, the same breeder also told me about something called paper hanging, which is basically falsifying a dog's lineage to make it look more impressive than it is because some dogs are famous. And it's apparently very common in this world. Wait, so you say like my dog's dad is Dax or his grandpa was Dax or something yeah. like that? Okay. Huh. Yeah. So uh, so my point is that the information you can get on Kimbo or any other dog by searching for them online is just not necessarily going to be accurate. It's like using Nextdoor to track dog bites. It might be the best option we have, but that doesn't mean it's correct. So who like who runs Bully Watch in the first place? Okay, so this group has largely been anonymous. We know who they are. Uh, some of the people are still anonymous, but basically what happened is that a guy named Lawrence Newport, he's a legal academic, he took some interest in this issue. He's a data-driven guy, effective altruist type. He doesn't like pit bulls. He told me, I noticed a lot of these pit bull type dogs and started avoiding certain areas and parks because they seemed numerous and aggressive. I wanted to work out if there was anything to this. So I researched, realized these stunning fatality figures and the breed history and wrote a blog post on it that went viral. It's just interesting because usually like effective altruist types are very rigorous and data driven. It sounds like this site ended up not being that. Yeah. So, so Lawrence write this post on his Substack, and it catches the attention of a few others who are interested in this issue and want to ban these dogs. That includes Doug Smith. He runs the site. Gloria Zygman. She's contributed a lot of research to the project, including on Killer Kimbo and a few others, some anon. So collectively, they decided to do something about it. None of them had any real credentials on the topic. They just had a simple argument and a clear goal. Ban the bully. So Newport published an article in The Telegraph about this. He also got some questions inserted into a YouGov poll, which found that 57% of Brits favored the ban and only 17% were against it. Of course, nearly every dog group, breeder, and expert in the area has spoken out against this ban, but they got it done by harnessing the media's ignorance and the public sphere. And I'm not saying they did this maliciously. I really don't think they did. I think they're true believers. And they're also very nice. I corresponded with the three I just named. They were all helpful and pleasant. They also try to be upfront when they don't know for sure by using terms like alleged and suspected. But that hedging often gets lost when the media picks up the stories. So as for how Bully Watch identifies these dogs in their reports, I asked Lawrence Newport, and he said they were confirmed by police and the press. But how do the police and the press confirm them? So, for instance, Newport's blog starts with a story about this 10-year-old Welsh boy named Jack Liss who was killed in 2021. In that case, the local police said they confirmed that the dog involved was an American bully XL named Beast. I contacted the police to ask how they confirmed the dog's breed. They didn't have an answer and seemed confused by the question. So, I sent a photo of the dog that was printed in the newspaper to 10 breeders of both pit bulls and American bullies. I didn't tell them who the dog was. I just said, based on these photos, can you tell what breed this dog is? And I got two types of answers back. The first was, sorry, I can't help you. It's impossible to tell from a visual ID. And the second was, sorry, I can't help you. It's impossible to tell from a visual ID, but it looks to me like a pit mix. It's just really hard to tell what some dogs are by looking at them. And this is particularly true of mixed breeds. You really so, like did a lot of work on the like, actual journalism on this story. It's horrible. It's been horrible. <laughs> so even Bronwyn Dickey, the journalist who wrote the book Pitbull, she starts her book thinking that her beloved rescue dog is a pit. And at the end of the book, she gets its genes tested. And to her shock, there is no Pitbull DNA in her dog. So even dog owners and breeders have a hard time assessing some breeds. And there's no reason to think the police would be any better. And in fact, there's a famous case where a, a cop shot a dog thinking it was a pit bull and it turned out to be a lab. Couldn't a, a DNA test be used to like figure out the breed when that's uh, at issue? Okay, so I had the same question. So I reached out to Adam Boyko. He's a dog geneticist at Cornell and the founder of Embark, which is one of those doggy DNA <laughs> testing companies. Embark. Gotcha. Embark. Embark. Bark. Embark. And he it's said- there's no test that will tell you if a dog is an American Bully XL. So here's how I understand it. These companies compare a DNA sequence from an individual with DNA sequences in their database. The Bully XL has a ton of overlapping DNA with other pit bull types, and there's no one gene or allele or sequence that is like the Bully XL gene. 
So it's sort of like the DNA test that people get when they want to prove they're Native American, but it turns out they're 100% Northern European. It's just based on comparisons and estimates. And there's no test on the market now that could tell you what that this dog is a bully XL. I was I took one of those. I was hoping to turn out to be a little bit Native American. It turned out I'm 5% uh, bully XL. <laughs> Okay, and I, I take it that because like there's so much ambiguity about breeds, a given dog's owner might not know that confidently? Yeah, so people don't always know. I mean, Bronwyn, the journalist, she didn't even know her pit was a pit, was not a pit. Plus, unscrupulous breeders lie. American bullies are designer dogs. They're expensive. Pit bulls are cheap. And especially during COVID, when there was a spike in interest in dogs, it is certainly possible that some breeders were passing pits or pit mixes off as American bullies because you can charge thousands of dollars per pup. There are also rumors in the UK that some breeders were trying to get around the pit ban by importing pits and calling them bullies. And one of the bully watch guys told me that breeders are mixing bullies and mastiffs. I wouldn't doubt that. Some people want some big ass dogs. But calling those dogs bullies would be like me calling Moose a golden retriever because he is part golden retriever. That would obviously be incorrect. So unless the dog has genuine verified papers, the police and the press and Bully Watch are really just guessing. And in the UK, the Dangerous Dog Act specifically bans types of dogs. That means dogs are assessed based on appearance. So that means that if a dog gets reported, the authorities will check its measurements and decide based on that whether or not it is a banned type. So you could have two dogs from the same litter with different proportions, and one could get seized and euthanized, and the other would not. I mean, I made a joke about phrenology earlier, but it sounds like there are literally calipers involved in this. Yeah, there's a little bit of eugenics, a little bit of phrenology. I mean, this is like Richard Hanania's wet dream. <laughs> so it sounds like a lot of what this comes down to is that people are calling dogs, American Bully XLs, this increasingly reviled breed that terrifies people. But we don't know which of the dogs called American Bully XLs are American Bully XLs. It's like, it's like when college professors in the States call themselves part native we have no way to know if that's true. Right. And what I'm saying is that the methodology used to ID these dogs is so flawed that you can't make any sweeping statements about the breed as a whole based on these attacks. Now, it's not impossible that some or even all of these dogs actually are American Bully XLs. I talked to one breeder who's been doing this for 10 years. She hosts dog shows and she says that her, her dogs are so low drive. So that means what's a like the terrier drive is the thing that makes a pit bull shake, like grab onto something and shake. Right. Does that make sense? They're not like motivated to engage in these like aggressive behaviors. You're saying low drive. Right. OK. Right. She can't even get her dogs to chase. But she also said even if these dogs are bred to have good temperaments, there's a rare syndrome called rage syndrome that can affect any breed that makes a dog basically go nuts. Now, there's not much research on this, and there's some debate in the veterinary world about whether or not this is a legitimate diagnosis, but maybe that's going on in the UK. Still, this breeder said that it struck her as much more likely that it's a case of mistaken identity, because that happens all the time when you're talking about these breeds. And so while Bully Watch and the media are using the terms Bully XL very loosely, like a catch-all for big-ass bully-looking dogs, the American Bully XL is a very specific type of dog. And when you're talking about banning something, it's really important to actually ban the thing that's causing harm, not the thing that sort of looks like the thing causing harm, right? And to review, American Bully XL is a specific thing only in the sense that the American Bully is a specific breed of dog. XL just means it's above a certain height. Exactly. Height and weight, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. This whole thing reminds me of Jewel, the vape company. So a few years ago, there was a vape these dogs can These dogs can <laughs> hey, vape? Jewel, yeah. Uh, do you remember the vape crisis? People were getting sick and dying from vaping. I think 25 million Americans died from vaping in like a month, if, me if memory serves. It was something like that. So it turned out that they were getting sick and dying because of an additive in some black market cannabis vapes called vitamin E acetate. These were, of course, already illegal. They were black market. But the government felt like they needed to do something. And they couldn't extra ban the black market vapes. So instead, they banned Juul, a legal and highly regulated name brand vape product that wasn't causing the lung injuries. What's happening in the UK with these dogs is very similar. They're banning the high profile name brand designer product rather than the black market knockoff that might actually be killing people. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And I don't even really blame Bully Watch for this. Like, they're doing the best they can with limited information. I feel bad about criticizing them, they're very nice. But the, pr the press has been just so breathless and credulous on this issue. And that's what I really take issue with. And probably the most stunning example of this was a report in The Independent with this headline. Wheelchair user with American XL bully as assistance dog supports ban. 
It was about a London man named Jerome Johnson and his dog Jenny, who he said he got as a rescue after she was abandoned by drug traffickers and used as an attack dog. He, he told The Independent that he has muscular dystrophy and he is unable to move except for a few fingers, so he's been training Jenny as his service dog for five years. Quote, she ripped through multiple tires on my wheelchair, which wasn't ideal. <laughs> he also said she protected him from a gang of use and that even though he loves Jenny, he supports the band. Quote, they have been bred for years and have a genetic makeup, making them more prone to violent outbursts. I think it would be selfish of me to say otherwise. Too many children have lost their lives. Jesse, uh, I put an image there in our notes. This is the photo that the independent printed. Please describe it. Um, it's a black guy in a wheelchair with his hand on a dog. Does it strike you as odd in any way? He looks, I mean, he looks like he's in a wheelchair, but otherwise he looks, he looks healthy. He doesn't come across as someone who's like really immobilized, to be honest, based on the still photo. Well, he doesn't because he's not real. It's an AI photo. And Jerome <laughs> Johnson was a Twitter troll who convinced this gullible reporter that this was true. That's awesome. So the, the Independent removed the story, but they didn't put up any kind of notice. And it was reposted by outlets like MSN, Yahoo, and others. So it's still out there floating around. You also sent me an article where the headline implies that these dogs go crazy because people are injecting steroids into them. Is Did you look into this? Yeah, I did. So this was initially published by the UK tabloid The Sun. They ran an interview with Gustavo Castro. He, he's the owner of UKC's Most Wanted Kimbo, aka Killer Kimbo, and he apparently told them that people are injecting dogs with steroids. Of course, all the other tabloids picked it up. I mean... Killer dogs being injected with steroids. That is great content. That's awesome. Right. So obviously I wanted to check it out. I had other questions for Gustavo Castro too. I had been una totally unable to find any contact info for him. And it was also confusing because, because Kimbo's owner is also listed on some bully sites as Jose Castro, not Gustavo Castro. Anyway, couldn't find any contact info for him either. So I wrote the reporter from The Sun and I asked if he'd spoken to Castro. He said he had. I said, okay, I just want to confirm that you spoke to him. Could you share his number? And he wouldn't do it. Now, he's under no obligation to share this. He did the legwork to find it. Lots of reporters are like that. But I talked to a bunch of bully breeders this week, and I asked them if any of them had heard of people injecting steroids into bullies, and they all said no. And none of them had heard of Castro either. So is this real? I don't know. You're suggesting that something published in The Sun might not have been 100% true. This is a serious accusation, and you're making it on the record. Look, I'm just saying that the guy wouldn't give me his number. When I explained to him, like, I'm trying to just check and make sure that you talk to him. If you talk to him, it would benefit you to give me his number. He still wouldn't give me his number. Interesting. Should we take a break? Let's do it. We are Blocked and Reported. We're a podcast. You can find out more about us at blockedandreported.org. There, you can sign up to become a premium, a.k.a. a primo, a.k.a. a preemie. Some people have written in to say they prefer being called preemies. I still find it weird. If you sign up for that designation, $5 a month and up, you get three extra episodes of this podcast every month, one of which we will be releasing this week. So you can look forward to that. In addition to those extra episodes, you can be a part of a thriving community approaching 13,000 people. It's crazy. We have weekly comment threads, amazing discussion, amazing community. You can also check us out on Reddit. We have a uh, subreddit we're not affiliated with, but very good discussion there, blockedandreported.reddit.com. You can go to barpodmerch.com for our merch. What else, Katie? Blockedandreported.org. Okay, Katie, so setting aside the specifics of the bully exiles, one thing I often hear from people defending these dogs or, or dogs who attack people in general, there's no bad dogs, just bad owners. Do we have any data or science on that? That is a great question, Jesse. So to find out, I turned to a paper called Highly Heritable and Functionally Relevant Breed Differences in Dog Behavior, published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in 2019. The authors looked at genetic and behavioral data from over 17,000 dogs and 101 breeds and, quote, identified 131 single nucleotide polymorphisms associated with breed differences in behavior, which were found in genes that are highly expressed in the brain and enriched for neurobiological functions and developmental processes. So there's your answer. Got it? Yeah, I was just saying off mic earlier, I suspect there's 131 single nucleotide polymorphisms associated with breed differences in behavior. So that's what I thought. You're totally right about that. Okay, so I obviously didn't know what the fuck that means. So I reached out to the lead author. His name's Evan McLean. He's the director of the Canine Cognition Center at the University of Arizona and also someone I know a little bit from when we both lived in Durham. A lot, a lot of dog people there. And I asked him to dumb this down for a couple of podcasters, and he told me that, yes, they found strong support for the idea that genetics play an important role in dog behavior. But in that particular data set, pit bull types did not rank high, particularly high, highly in aggression. 
They were really in the middle of the pack when it comes to aggression towards people and only slightly above average when it comes to aggression towards other dogs. And of course, there's tons of variation within the breed. The dogs that really stand out when it comes to aggression are actually small breeds. So those annoying yappy ankle biters, of course, the only way a Yorkie could kill you is if you trip on it, which is actually a ha- like a real hazard. Tripping over cats and dogs accounts for over 90,000 trips to the hospital every year. Fun fact. In the U.S. it does? In the U.S., yeah. I uh, Yeah, that's interesting. I saw a couple of people, they'd argue like other dogs are much more aggressive. But to me, like if you're not accounting for size, it's like, who cares? Like I, I can't stand those little dogs, except actually I have one of my family that I like, but they're not going to kill anyone. Right. Like I, a dog could be less aggressive, but bigger and much more dangerous. Right. And there are some important caveats to, to Evan's study. So for one, they did not study bullies. Basically, no one has yet. If you search American bullies on Google Scholar, you'll find one study on hip dysplasia and a lot about mean teenagers. And two, the data Evan and his co-authors used was from a survey called Seabark, which is out of the University of Pennsylvania. They love these puns, Seabark. I actually did this survey for moose when I was working on Moose Nuggets, my series about spay and neuter. And this survey selects for the type of dog owner who is going to sit down and do a 30-minute questionnaire about a dog's behavior. So that population... Dorks. Yes. That population is not representative of the average dog owner, much less the kind of owner who, for instance, lets their vicious beast attack my poodle at the state park. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like very... Yeah, that's not just... It's such a biased sample. Right. In any case, is it fair to say there are no bad dogs, only bad owners? No, not really. I had a dog when I was a kid who was a biter. She wasn't a pit bull. She looked like a Benji dog, but she hurt people. This had nothing to do with how she raised. We didn't beat her. None of our other dogs ever bit. This dog came out of the womb aggressive, and she was aggressive for her whole life. This is There's a Simpsons where they, uh, they have an elephant named Stampy. They have to give him up because he's a jerk. And the guy who like, runs the elephant sanctuary is like, some elephants are just jerks. Yeah. It's like the same logic. Some people, like, there's all these different reasons. Maybe it's trauma. Some people come out of the womb, whatever species womb, and they're just jerks. There is an elephant, a famous case of an elephant being hung in uh, Irwin, Tennessee. There's photos you can find online if you dig one. Wait, hung for what? After murdering people. They hung, Tennessee hung an elephant. I don't want to see that photo. They literally hung the elephant. Yeah, from I believe it was from a crane. God, Jesus Christ. Okay, I don't want to think about that. Yeah. Okay, so that is not to say that owners don't matter. They do. I fully believe that the environment and the way dogs are treated can absolutely impact their behavior just as it does with humans. And so I find it sort of strange to know that some behaviors, including aggression, are intrinsic to some individual dogs or even some breeds, even though, of course, there's a lot of variation within the breed. But like dogs are bred for specific traits. You want a dog that will herd cattle? Get a border collie. You want a dog that's great with kids? Get a lab. You want a dog that will cry like a wounded bird every time you're about to record a podcast? Get moose. Selection matters. Dave Wilson and every dog breeder on earth obviously know this. The thing about pit bulls, and you got to this a second ago, is that they're so strong and tenacious. They have that terrier drive that the damage they can do to the body is just greater than most dogs. You've probably seen videos of pits attacking people. They hold on and they don't let go. We do have data on bite strength. This is an imperfect measure, and a lot of dog people dispute that this is even meaningful, but it's called bite force. And pit bull types have a bite force of around 240 to 330 PSI. That's on the high end for common breeds, but it's not nearly the highest. So the cane course says bite strength is about 700 PSI. And honestly, I would prefer to run into an American Bully XL in a dark alley over a cane corso any day. Okay. So PSI, I know pounds per square inch. So you're basically saying pit bulls, as far as dogs go, don't have a particularly strong bite. No, I'm saying that they have, it's on the high end for common breeds, but it's not nearly, they're in the middle for like the entire range of dog breeds. They're in the middle. What the hell is a cane corso? I'm looking, oh my God, this is a very, they look... Oh, that one's kind of cute. Yeah, and that's not even the highest bite strength. The highest one is a Turkish dog called a Kangle or something. Kangle Shepherd. Turkish Kangle. Wait, now I'm Googling dog. Oh my, dude, there's so many scary dogs in the world. We forget that. They're just not that common. And so making sweeping generalizations about entire breeds of dogs, like I just did, it makes some people, including some dog researchers, very uncomfortable because it veers towards, well, stereotyping, profiling, racism even. And that's another reason this issue is so hot. There's actually multiple racial angles here, but we'll start with racism towards pits. So Malcolm Gladwell wrote about this in 2006 in The New Yorker. He starts the piece with this horrifying anecdote about a two-year-old boy in Ontario being attacked when a pit bull jumped over a fence and lunged at him. And then as that dog has the boy in its mouth, 
two other pits jump the fence and join in the attack. Jesus. And so after that attack, yeah, after that attack, Ontario instituted a ban against pit bulls. And Gladwell then uses his piece to argue against pit bull bans, not just because they're ter- they're stereotyping, which they are, but because what is a pit bull? They're very hard to define. The Ontario law banned three specific breeds, the American Staffordshire Terrier, the Staffordshire Bull Terrier, and the American Pit Bull Terrier, Terrier. But it also banned, quote, any dog that has an appearance and physical characteristics that are substantially similar. It's incredibly vague. So, like, my sister has a rescue dog that has the coloring of, be- of a beagle, the body of a weasel, and the head of a pit bull. Does he count as a pit bull? What's the amount of pit bull DNA that is required to make someone a pit bull? Is it half? A quarter? The one drop rule? I mean, maybe it's one of those I know it when I see it situations. There is, like, there is an honest, like, people people make over-the-top claims about how, like, there's no biological basis to race at all, but it is that same thing, where, like, there's so much intermixing of both mm-hmm. people and dogs that, like, eventually it's very hard to define these supposedly important categories. Intermixing between people and dogs. Uh, where have you been hanging out? I, I phrase that poorly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Gladwell's other argument against pit bans, breed-specific legislation, is that the reason pits are overrepresented among dog attacks isn't that pits are inherently more dangerous than other dogs, which I don't necessarily buy. It's just that there are more of them. So he writes, quote, when we have more problems with pit bulls, it's not necessarily a sign that pit bulls are more dangerous than other dogs. It could just be a sign that pit bulls have become more more numerous. And they are very, very numerous, at least in the U.S., Pitbull types are one of the most popular breeds in the country. Now, that will not be evident if you Google most popular dog breeds. And the reason for this is because those lists largely come from the American Kennel Club and they don't recognize pits. According to the AKC, the most popular dog breed in 2023 is the French Bulldog. But how many Frenchies do you see every day compared to pits? Actually, you live in the part of Brooklyn where avocado toast was invented. So don't answer that. This is so much like my basically my only exposure to network TV, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, is when I watch sports. The commercials are always to sitcoms that are unbelievably wildly popular. I've never watched these sitcoms. I don't know any other like bloggers, podcasters, other douchebags who watch these sitcoms, but in a huge swath of the country, they're incredibly popular. It's like the same thing. Yeah. Pits and pit mixes are incredibly common. And according to Embark, so that's the doggy DNA testing company, American Pitbull Terrier is the breed that shows up the most on their test results. Nearly 15% of mixed breed dogs that they test have some pit in them, and that's twice as high as the next most common breed, the German Shepherd. So just out of curiosity, I looked at the available dogs at the Seattle Humane Society, and almost every one of them looked like it could have some Pitbull, although probably wisely, they never call them pit mixes. They call them like lab mixes or boxer mixes. They don't use the word pit. They have one named Freddy Krueger that they call a boxer mix that looks just like a pit. And note to the Seattle Humane Society, you might want to do him a favor and change his name to just Fred. <laughs> I like the way, so they call them lab mixes or boxer mixes. That's like the real estate equivalent of like, this is a uh, snug space. Right. It's a fixer right. upper. It's marketing. So that brings up another question. How do you ban a breed that is so incredibly common? And there have been various attempts to do so all over the U.S. and elsewhere in the world. And the method varies by place. So in some cases, they make it illegal to breed these dogs or they mandate spay spay and neuter. And in some places, they kill them. So in Prince George's County, Maryland, they euthanized over 400 suspected pits in 2019 alone. Looking like, wow. Okay. Well, okay. You said there was another racism angle here. What's that? Okay. So the first racism angle, that was racism, racism against pits. Stereotyping the breed based on a minority of bad actors. The second and possibly more contentious angle is the claim that pit bulls are targeted for things like bans, not because they are inherently more dangerous than other dogs, which again, I don't entirely buy, but because of who owns them. Uh, This is more of an American phenomenon than a British one, but Bronwyn Dickey writes a lot about it in her book. This is from page 23. Fears about demon dogs have cycled through Anglophone culture for for hundreds of years, but none has endured as long as the controversy over pit bulls, which is now entering its fifth decade. Nor has any been fed as much by bad science, media sensationalism, political brinksmanship, moral panic, racial venom, and class prejudice. So later in the book, she traces the Pitbull's rise in popularity. She says that guard dogs became popular in inner cities in the 1960s when police ignored calls from black neighborhoods, and the residents of these neighborhoods started turning to guard dogs, although at the time, it was German shepherds and Dobermans that were more common than pits. 
And then in the next decade, there was this resurgence in dogfighting. Now, dogfighting was at one point considered a legitimate sport in the U.S., and it was endorsed and even promoted by the United Kennel Club. But people gradually started to see this as cruel, and it faded in popularity. But in the 1970s, there was a rash of very sensational stories, both real and fictional, in the press about dogfighting. And Bronwyn says that all of a sudden you started seeing dogfighting in inner cities the way that you hadn't for a century. So it was officially banned in the U.S. in 1976, but she writes, Pitbulls became the latest fad breed to be enlisted in a dangerous game of musical chairs. They would proliferate quickly because unlike German Shepherds or Dobermans, they were smaller, easier to hide, and cheaper to purchase. And Bronwyn writes that once the Pitbull was associated with black people, it, quote, became a magnet for racial fears about crime and the American underclass. I mean, it also probably didn't help that they were being used for, you know, dogfighting. Although, interestingly, Dave Wilson told me that a good fighting dog was one that would rip out another dog's throat, but was actually gentle with people because you didn't want the dog to turn on its handler when he got in the ring. Anyway, that's how they became known as the black breed. That's, it's interesting because um, I def, there's definitely a stereotype involving like the inner city and pit bulls and like some rappers even like having them or whatever. But to me, like there's also an association with like the white underclass, like a, the, like a totally. pit ball guarding like a, uh, you know, a trailer. trailer park or a used car lot in the boonies. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a, a big class element here. And we've talked frequently on this show about how some allegations of racism are overblown, particularly in the current era of thinking that like Caucasian dreadlocks and RuPaul head shaking memes are white supremacy. But I don't think it's a giant leap of the imagination to think that one of the reasons these dogs were so feared was, was because of their association with black people, as well as with dogfighting. And that this in part led to Pitbull-specific bans in some places. There aren't that many German Shepherd bans, and they're also responsible for a lot of dog bites and capable of murder. But the question I have now is, is it racism, not against dogs but against people, that motivates fear of these dogs today? So do people fear pits because pits are affiliated with black people? I don't have any data on this. But I kind of doubt it, at least in the U.S., they're, just because there are so many of these dogs that they are no longer considered a black breed— they're an everyone breed. In fact, it is a status symbol among progressive white people to have a rescue dog. I mean, meet someone with a rescue dog and you will know it immediately because they will tell you immediately, which is why I tell people that Moose was rescued from a very expensive breeder. <laughs> white liberals love rescue dogs and a huge number of rescue dogs have some amount of pit in them, at least in the U.S. So while the initial fear of pits may have in part been a byproduct of racism, I suspect the current fear of pits has less to do with racism and more to do with, you know, the fact that there are stories about pit bulls mauling people to death in the news, after which the owners inevitably say, but he was so sweet, we never had any problems with him before. Plus, they look scary. And so regardless of the source of people's fear, the fact is lots of people are scared of these dogs and lots of people want the band. I started to type the shit out of them. When you sent me those photos, I was like, they look horrifying. And yeah. uh, I'm, I'm guilty of um, rank bigotry on this, it turns out. Me too. I'm racist, racist against pit bulls. Uh, and so when it comes to bully XLs in the UK right now, there does seem to be an element of thinking like the wrong people in these breeds, irresponsible people, dangerous people. I don't think this is necessarily racial, but one of the guys from Bully Watch used the term toxic masculinity regarding bully breeders in an email to me. And there's this idea that like the culture surrounding these dogs says something about their temperaments or their behavior. And I get it. Like you see these ads for bullies with names like Hail Satan and Meth Lab Cop Killer, and they've got these big ass bodies. They look so intimidating. But putting a spike collar on a dog and calling it Demon Devil says nothing about the dog's actual temperament, and neither does its big ass traps. I also, I think, as is often the case, exporting American racism and racial history to the UK, it just doesn't really fit. Like they have their own underclass racial groups that are mostly not black. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, do we know if like the, do the bands actually, it, given how hard it is to even identify what dog is and isn't a given breed, I'm curious how these bands could even work necessarily. Okay. So to answer this question, let's turn to Hal Herzog, Dr. Dad, who writes about this. Big Daddy Hal. Big I'm going to keep Hal. saying that till sticks. He writes about this in his book, Some We Love, Some We Hate, Some We Eat, Why It's So Hard to Think Straight About Animals. We'll link to that in the show notes. Please buy it. My inheritance depends on it. And he writes about Denver, Colorado, where pit bulls were banned in 1989 after a 58-year-old minister named Wilbur Billingsley was attacked by a pit bull while walking to the store. Both his legs were broken. He was bit more than 70 times, after which the dog's owner said, we never had any problems with him before. Okay. <laughs> So after this, the city council enacted a ban. No pit bulls allowed. Then in the ensuing decades, 
Pipples went through a sort of reputational rehabilitation, which I suspect is partly due to the Adopt Don't Shop movement. And in 2020, Denver voters overwhelmingly voted to repeal the Pipple ban. So we can look at data from Denver to try to make some guesses about how these work or not. Okay, so in 2019, the year before the law was repealed, Denver Animal Protection identified 28 Pitbull bites. In 2021, the year after the law was repealed and pits were legal again, they identified 117 Pitbull bites. And that was significantly more than any other breed. So by comparison, there were 61 German Shepherd bites and 54 lab bites. So in total, 16% of dog bites in 2021 were due to pits. So that's not insignificant. Of course, all the previous limitations we discussed about figuring out what a dog actually is apply here too. And that's just one. Can, thing. I, can I be an anno- can I be an annoying pervert for nuance for a minute? Sure. Yeah. So there's a, a 31 year period where these dogs are banned from Denver. Assuming people follow that ban, you have none of these dogs. And then if there's like a surge where suddenly people do have there's a lot more of these dogs, there's going to be a lot more bites. I don't. Yeah. I just don't think with like more context, we know if that's a lot. 16 percent of right. bites in 2021 were due to pits. What percentage of the dogs were? It sounds like a lot. I just don't think we're actually sure. Right, right. No, you're totally right about that. And that's just one city. So let's turn to Ontario, where, as Malcolm Gladwell wrote, they banned pits in 2005 after this child was attacked. It's really hard to get a straight answer on this for the whole province. They just don't have any single reporting system for all municipalities. And the news reports are on this are also confusing. So like if you Google, for instance, did Ontario's pit bull ban reduce the number of dog attacks? You'll find articles telling you both that pit bull bites were way, are way down since the ban was enacted and that the overall number of dog bites has actually increased, which in my thinking could easily be explained by the increase in the number of dogs overall. But people who are against breed bans often make this point. Overall dog bites rarely decrease despite breed bans. Potentially dumb, also nerdy question. Do they do, you've now seen a lot of these statistics. Are they ever like, so like a meaningful murder rate statistic in a U.S. city is per 100,000 people. Do they ever do that equivalent of a rate per the number of dogs in the city, or do they not have that data? I haven't seen that. And the, and the reporting data really varies by place to place. And you can get, like, yeah. you, it's the, the, pro- the problem isn't getting data necessarily on overall bites. It's breed-specific data is really hard to get. Yeah, and I'm guessing that denominator of the actual number of dogs in yeah. the whole city is probably often missing. And regardless of the numbers... Almost all animal rights groups and charities and researchers and dog cognition people and breeders oppose breed-specific legislation because they're like, look, besides all these issues about identifying the breed, you can ban a breed, but some people want aggressive dogs and they're just going to get other aggressive breeds or even develop new breeds to get around the bans. So I asked Alexandra Horowitz about this. She's the dog cognition researcher at Columbia. And she said that because of all of these category issues we've discussed, quote, Lots of dogs who are just big and have blocky faces but are completely peaceful will be banned. And when I asked her what sort of policy solution there is to the problem of violent dogs, she says, there is no solution except the really exciting one, limiting ownership to people who behave responsibly with dogs. That's never going to happen. And she's right. It's never going to happen, especially in the U.S., we can't even keep irresponsible people from owning guns, much less dogs. I also think like there's huge numbers of dogs that are not like registered. It's like, right. I don't know, especially in rural areas, it's like this dog had extra puppies. Let's give them the name. It's just not. Yeah. Yeah. It's just impossible. So as for me, I'm going to officially take the coward's way out of this and say I'm agnostic on breed specific legislation because I don't want my house to get burned down. I don't think that's going to protect you. I think one <laughs> group of people will burn you for yeah. not coming out totally against him and the others for not coming out <laughs> yeah. totally for it. I will say before I started working on this, I thought, yep, these dogs are too big. They're too scary. Let's neuter them out of existence. So long. Goodbye. Send my love to T-Rex and the woolly mammoths. But the more I've learned about this breed, the more I think American bully XLs are getting a bad rap. But let's just put American bullies aside for a second and just focus on the more classic pit that has not been bred to be a cow's potato. When you ban pipples or dogs that look like pipples, there are fewer attacks by pipples or dogs that look like pipples. And that, to me, seems like a net positive. Of course, you could say that about literally any animal. And I don't want to see dogs punished or euthanized unless they've actually attacked someone. And in the U.S., there are just so many pit bulls or dogs that look like pit bulls that I don't see how bans are feasible without killing many, many thousands of dogs. And I don't want that. You've seen me talk about dead dogs. I will cry. But I also have a gut reaction when I see pit bulls out and about. I am scared of them. And not just because one attack moves, but because I know what they can do to a human body. I've seen the videos. Golden Doodles don't do that. Beagles don't do that. Chihuahuas would like to do that, but they can't. 
So maybe my feelings about this are irrational, and I certainly don't want public policy decided on fear rather than empirical evidence, but that doesn't stop me from taking the long way to the park every day because there's a pit bull down the street that looks at me like I'm a giant steak. So I feel bad for people on both sides of this. I mean, I get the fear. I have the fear, but I also get the love. And if anyone were to ban the breed that I love for being so damn cute and so damn sweet that it makes the other dogs jealous, I would be in the street with a picket sign. I would throw soup at the Mona Lisa, Jesse. I might even glue my hand to Rishi Sunak's desk. It's beautiful stuff. As uh, In terms of figuring out how to get these odds to not attack people, have they tried implicit bias trainings? <laughs> uh, what do you think? Are you for or against breed-specific bans after hearing this? <laughs> answer knowing what i know about the communities involved i'm going to maintain a stance of strict neutrality i have no opinions on any of this other than that you did a great job sweden i'm the dog version of sweden okay so the last thing about this i know a lot of people are not going to believe a word that i said today and they're going to continue to think that american bullies are inherently violent and bad and they're probably going to call me a baby killer which is fair i do kill babies it's my joy Mm -hmm. but dave wilson encouraged me to go to a dog show sometime they have them all over the country. He said, check out these dogs, talk to their handlers, and you'll see that these are not the monsters you read about in the press. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to a dog show. And I'd invite anyone listening to join me. I mean, not literally. Like, go find your own dog show and report back. So wait, what, how do things turn out in terms of uh, American bullies in the UK? What are they going to do with them? They're going to get deported back to the US. No, it's still not definite, but it looks like uh, after the de- government defines what exactly they mean by American Bully XL, that's the first step. They're going to ban breeding them, require people to spay and neuter, and possibly make them muzzle in public. So they aren't going to kill them. Sorry to anyone who is hoping to see a dog gallows in Trafalgar Square. Damn, Katie. that's. Uh, I wish you the best in terms of the response <sighs> to this episode, but I think you did a very fair job on a tricky subject. I will be in a cave hiding if anyone needs me. I just, I'm looking forward to getting back to um, less controversial subjects like race in America. Why don't we do Israel-Palestine next? All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. This has been Blocked and Reported. We are produced with help from Tracy Woodgrains. I'm Jesse Single. And remember, there are no mediocre podcasts, just mediocre podcasters. And I'm Katie Herzog. And also remember, when asked to comment on the UK banning the American Bully X, Pitbull replied, This biggity boy is a diggity dog. I'm slicker than an oil spill. She says she won't, but I bet she will.